I was raised to believe that the Bible is a book of morals, and that it defines good versus evil for us within its pages. In the Garden of Eden, however, there were two trees. The tree that brought death was the tree that contained the question of morals, good versus evil. The other tree was a tree that brought life to all the aid of its fruit, the tree of life. Is it possible that we've been asking the wrong questions, chasing the wrong thing by seeking to be moral? Let's run an experiment. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we dare our as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Derish Chai Experiment, the show where we try to make heads and tails out of the book of Ecclesiastes. I am Aaron Bishop, here with my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. So we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 today, and this chapter, uh, just like the last chapter last week, it kind of borrows from and expands on some of the previous themes that have already been explored in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, but this chapter also has some very interesting takes on the idea of oppression, uh, labor, life in general, like the cycles of life. Yeah. Again, we're looking at cycles. We're seeing, you know, Solomon's looking out in the world. He's seeing the cycles. He's seeing there's a futility to these cycles in some way, but it's a, got a slightly different slant this week. It's, it's, much darker this week. It's much more futile, much more this is hopeless feeling in this chapter. Right. Yeah, there's not really a uh, a comfort to be found in this chapter. Yeah, there's not really a silver lining anywhere. Right. The last two chapters, there was there was something good, something that he could pull out, you know, rejoice in your work, rejoice in your food, rejoice in your companions. But there's really not any of that this week. It, it's... Mm -mm bleak and dismal but it's it's a chapter that some modern audiences could actually twist in in some interesting ways and that's one of the things we're going to get into today so without belaboring the point let's go ahead and read it and then let's discuss ecclesiastes chapter four and again i looked and saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold i saw the tears of the oppressed but they have no comforter Power is in the hand of their oppressors, but they had no comforter. So I considered the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. Yet better than both is the one who was not yet born, who has never seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill that is done come from man's envy of his neighbor. This, too, is fleeting and striving after the wind." The fool folds his hands together and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful with tranquility than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind. Again I saw something futile under the sun. There is one who has no one else, neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. His eyes are not content with riches. So for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of prosperity? This, too, is meaningless, a grievous task. Two are better than one because they get a good return for their effort, for if they fall, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls and has no one to lift him up. 
Furthermore, if two lie together, then they will be warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though a man might overpower one, two can stand against him. Moreover, a threefold cord cannot be quickly broken. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to take warning. For he came out of prison to become king, though he was born poor in his kingdom. I consider all the living that walk under the sun as well as the next youth who stands in his place. There is no end to all the people, to all who are before him. All those who will come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this too is meaningless in striving after the wind. Watch your feet when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing wrong. Wow, what a uh, what a dark chapter. Just so depressing when it's taken on its own. Yeah, Yeah, even oppressing. And that's really how it starts. I I saw the oppression that's done under the sun and the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter and power is on the side of the oppressor, but they have no comforter. That particular verse is one that we actually kind of hear a lot about today. The idea of speaking truth to power and the oppression things like colonization. What do you mean by colonization? What do I mean by colonization? Well, colonization is a idea that uh, is part of critical theory. Oh, okay. Critical theory, critical race theory, critical gender studies, uh, so on and so forth. They all come out of the same type of thought process. And it's rooted, really. It's rooted in Marxism. But the idea is that you look at the power structures that are, you find something wrong with the power structures that are. Some Someone is being oppressed somewhere in some way, and then you highlight that oppression, and then you try to tear down, tear down current power structure. power structures so that you can replace them with your own power structures. The end goal, and at least that's stated in their literature, is to have a world with no power structures whatsoever. Everybody living willingly in community. It's uh, sort of like a uh, communist anarchy is what their end goal is. But nobody knows how to get there. They don't know what it's going to look like. And I know that's getting kind of confusing. But Yeah, I'm completely lost. (laughs) I'm not sure what that has to do with this at all. Well, it's because it's speaking of the oppressed. And so, you know, you find your oppressed minority. In Marxist case, it was uh, the proletariat, it was the workers. They're being oppressed by the bourgeoisie, the business owners and the rich and the those who are in power. Okay. But today it's, you know, it's the poor gay kid or the transgenders or racial minorities or, you know, it's all of these other groups that feel that they're being oppressed by society or by the structures of society in some way. And so they're trying to tear down the power. It's almost as if they feel this first verse very viscerally. Okay. I can definitely see how in today's world that verse could be kind of like a a mantra. (laughs) Right. It just, I've been doing a lot of studying into critical theory recently, trying to wrap my mind around it, what its goal is. And uh, this verse, when I read it, I just couldn't help but thinking about that because this verse, it seems as though many critical race theorists read this verse or looked out in the world and saw the same thing. And rather than saying, you know, it's futile and I envy the dead, they go, well, all oppression in any way and 
of any sort is wrong and it's the current power structures that have allowed this oppression and so we need to just tear them down and really they have no hope of what to build in its place no idea of what to build in its place they just want to tear it down well and the thing is that we're never going to have any kind of power structure on this earth in any way, shape, form, or fashion that has an actual human being at the head that isn't going to lead towards oppression in some form. Right. And we have to have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords as the head and king and ruler in reality for any kind of of hope to have a, a kingdom without any kind of oppression. Right. But even, even in that kingdom, we look at... Uh was it Zechariah chapter 14 at the very end of it uh the nations that don't come to participate in Sukkot in Jerusalem in the this millennial kingdom mm-hmm. they'll be left without rain oh my okay. goodness we're being oppressed that's what not oppression be a, that's punishment there's a vast difference between the two and that's one of the that's one of the things because CRT really figures into progressive christianity the the deconstruction of your your Christian beliefs that you were brought up with, of course, and, because and they're the, trying to deconstruct every kind of right. But with progressive Christianity, then they rebuild uh, belief in God in their own image, and mm-hmm. so you can just discard what parts of the Bible you don't like. You can you can do whatever, but the uh, the idea is that God is not vengeful. God is is not. Uh, angry. He never punishes anyone. Uh, you don't have to believe in him. You're going to be saved and go be with him anyway, because God is love. And love obviously means full 100% acceptance of who you are right now. No change necessary. But that's, that's ridiculous. Because right. that also means that there's no justice. Exactly. I think one of the key things to recognize about CRT is it's not based in guilt and innocence in any way really at all. It's not even really based in honor and shame. It's really more a power-fear dynamic. Or really even in reality. Well, yeah, it's not based in reality <laughs> either. It's all in uh, or it's all in power and oppression dynamics. Yes. Might be a better way yeah. to. Who has the power? We'll take it from them. Who's the oppressed? We need to give them the power. And let's flip society on its head and mm-hmm. rebuild it in that way. Anyway, if you want to learn more about CRT and what it's trying to do, I recommend James Lindsay. He's done a ton of study into CRT, reading all their literature. He puts out a podcast called New Discourses. Uh, you can find it on YouTube or on any podcast app. If you're listening to us, then you should be able to find him pretty pretty easily. Uh, but he's got a three-part series on uh, groomer schools, which is hugely eye-opening, speaking specifically to the idea of the gender theory that CRT is based on or that rate critical theory is based on. Um, but then he's also got a five-part series speech that he gave at one point where he goes into everything from where did it come from to how does it act to how do we stand against it uh, in a five-part series. Each each one of them is about an hour long. But with those eight teachings or those those eight episodes, you can really get a pretty firm idea of what's going on in our world and where it's come from and why it's just so terrible and the completely messed up uh, logic behind these thoughts and these ideas and a lot of the buzzwords that are being thrown around that you've probably heard and didn't even know you heard. 
It's one might even say it's oppressive. One might say it's oppressive because <laughs> these these uh, people in there seeking to overthrow the oppressors, they end up becoming oppressive. oppressors. Yeah. It's that it's that old adage: uh, when you go to fight monsters, make don't sure you don't become a monster. monster. Right? Yeah. So verse two, Solomon, he's he's really struggling because I mean, this really feels like he is absolutely. At a low point, you know, we when we read the Psalms, we see David go through some pretty low points as well. But this is very much a low point for Solomon. And it's like the dead are more fortunate than the living. But the one who's never even been born is more fortunate than either one. I, it's just, you know, you just feel this depression kind of seeping into him. Well, right. And the entire book is kind of that, that whole oppressive or depression mm -hmm. type mentality. It That's why so many people come into this book and they come out and they're like, oh, you read Ecclesiastes. What did you think? Oh, it was depressing. It was. It's hard. It's a heavy book. It is a heavy book. There's, there's Because he's honestly examining reality and he's recognizing you're not the center of the story. Mm -hmm. You're not even the center of your own story. Where most of us, we're just bit actors in in some grander play. The grand play is this Bible and everything that God's doing in the world. And guess what? You're not even really supporting cast in most cases. Most of us, we're just in the background, living our lives, doing our things, and not really uh, affecting the world in any way. Getting caught up in in the minutia, really. right? Yeah. And, I know uh, I spent a lot of years doing that. That's oh, for sure. Oh, that's for sure. And it's super easy to do. So easy to get caught yeah. up in the going to work and coming home. And what's the old adage that we were raised with is go to college, get married, get a job. Right. You of know, course. That's the, that's the course so of your that life. So you could pay for the college and the marriage. And the marriage. And then, and then the stuff you can retire someday and then you're dead. And right. that was, that was supposed to be. The American dream of some sort. And and we've seen from just experience that those who retire, unless they have something to truly do with their lives, they no longer really have much of a purpose. And therefore, they die very shortly after retirement. Many. Their, right. their health goes downhill. Right. And... They die very shortly after retirement. Yeah. Uh, and verse three is one of those other verses that's just super depressing, you know, is better than both of these people. Those who are already dead and those who are living or is the guy that never existed at all. And I mean, that could be twisted into all sorts of abortion apologetics. Mm. It's better that my kid doesn't even exist because yep. if they, if they exist, they might have to experience evil. And that's actually one of the arguments that's used for abortion is yep. this idea that, well, they might be poor. So it's better that they're dead. Well, I remember uh, a doctor telling me, um, when we first got married that I should never have children because if I do, I could possibly pass on health problems to him or her. And right. that would be child abuse. Right. So I should never have any children. Never have any children. If you get pregnant, you could pass it on and you'd be abusing your child to bring them into this world only to experience uh, health issues their entire life. Yeah. Never mind the fact that they were all misdiagnosed. But yeah, that didn't matter. That's <laughs> didn't not part matter. of the, it's not part of the, part of the paradigm. Of the equation. 
that verse three, it also kind of echoes something that Job said, which reminds me of a joke. Yes, I was thinking of that joke. (laughs) (laughs) Who was the youngest person to use foul language in the Bible? It was Job. Because he cursed the day he was born. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> but uh, Job echoes this kind of sentiment, you know, as, as it would be better if I'd never been born than to see the evils that is surrounding me. Yeah. This is a paraphrase of what he says. And Solomon and Job are kind of overlap in this way. Right. Um, at least here. At sure. least in this place, because they're both concerning the, looking at the evil of the world and the evil of their lives and the just the heartache and the loss and the everything that they're going through, the trauma that's that they've experienced and saying, you know what? It, I'd rather have not existed than to live through this. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, that's a very central part of the trauma experience. I think, Especially when you like grief, when you go through grief and tra- grief is a huge part of trauma. Uh, one of the stages is depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't want to live anymore or I wish I'd never lived or uh, things of those nature. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons these books, Job, Ecclesiastes, even Jeremiah and Lamentations. They're, they're so important. They're so important Vital. for us to read is because they do speak to a people who are going through trauma. Mm-hmm. who are experiencing trauma and it's wrestling with the evils of this world and how do we deal with them? How do we uh, find hope in the midst of it? How, how do, do we, we live through this? How, yeah. How do we keep living after the trauma? Right. Which is so important. One thing I'd like to do at some point is uh, just do a kind of a quick overview of Jeremiah. Actually, we don't even have to go through it. There's someone wrote a book, Kathleen Kennedy, I think her name is, uh, wrote a book on Jeremiah called Pain and Promise. But it goes through how Jeremiah is written in the style of someone who is actually trying to process trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, as he's watching his entire country, his entire existence melt around his ears as the Babylonian conquest is coming through and tearing everything down. And he's just trying to deal with this trauma and the, the people that are trying to deal with this trauma. The disjointed nature of the book and, you know, trying to build stories around the trauma. And it's all, it's what people do when they go through trauma. And it's just such a beautiful insight into that book. So that's another recommendation for you. If you find yourself with some extra time and want to really dig into this idea of trauma, that's a great book to begin with. And it really, really shows Jeremiah in a, in a new light. But it's hard for me, at least, to see Solomon, the wisest, richest, most mm, prolific man, um, he a- as having gone through trauma. I mean, I know that he lived through the the the, the the um the coup of David's son. At, of he Absalom, lived, yeah. you know, he lived through that. He lived through. His sister being raped by his brother. He, he had some traumas, sure. Yeah, but but they, those weren't but those his weren't, traumas. Right. And it's very hard for me. I mean, I do understand that every single human on the planet goes through trauma. Right. And to to not have someone go through trauma is to not have that someone at all. Right. You know. But, but we, I mean, he had many wives. How many wives died while he was alive? Well, that's How many children did he lose 
Um, how many of his wives died in childbirth? You know, I'm sure he experienced trauma, friends dying, uh, you know, the people, we, we go through trauma, we go through grief, we go through loss. That's just a central part of, of who, of these, this corrupt and broken experience of this corrupt and broken world that God is seeking to redeem. Yeah. But I mean, when you read the verse, like the fool folds his hands together and eats his own flesh. I mean, when we, when we consider the siege of Jerusalem, for example, yes, Mm -hmm. they were literally eating the flesh of their children and the dead. And I mean, that's just unbelievably appalling in my mind, but at the same time, you know, it happened. So it's, that kind of language and we we don't see solomon ever having had any anything like that experience well, but but we can't look at someone's trauma and say well it wasn't this terrible terrible trauma that happened to someone else and so therefore it doesn't matter to them that's fair or it doesn't matter that is fair and so I, I hesitate to say that Solomon didn't experience trauma because he didn't experience great famine or he didn't experience a great defeat in battle or he didn't mm-hmm. experience uh, – he had traumas. It's just his traumas. Yeah. You know? And yeah, that's fair. So. Yeah. I mean – and and he can speak into our trauma even though his trauma was different than right, ours. Right, In the same way that we could speak into someone else's trauma even though ours wasn't exactly the same. Right. Yeah. But that verse five, we have to recognize that 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 is actually a metaphor. It's a parable of sorts, Uh, a proverb. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. It's, it's, hey, I've got money in the bank or I've got this. Let me just sit back and relax and live off of my, Mm. my, what's sitting there right now and just, just eat it away, eat it away. Yeah. Not do anything, not get out there, not engage, just just yeah. better is two handfuls of tra- is a handful of tranquility than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind. Right, and that's yeah. that's I think that's the opposite side because that's talking about the workaholic who never rests. Well, that's definitely what the next section is talking about. Someone who doesn't even have a doesn't even have someone to be providing for. Doesn't have any right. son or brother or and anybody else, and he's just working like crazy. Yeah, someone who's consumed with the career that that. that person who is so career oriented or career focused that they never actually go out and live yeah enjoy they never enjoy they never do they're they're so busy accomplishing attaining yeah attaining and achieving for themselves climbing that ladder that they never actually impact another person's life in a real way that they never have that that close relationship that that deep friendship, that intimate partner in any way, which is sad, but we see our world's filled with it. Yeah. But I think that's kind of what verse four is actually referring to when we skipped over it, but it says, I saw that all the toil and all the skill that is done come from a man's envy of his neighbor. And this too is fleeting and striving after the wind. Right. Yours says it comes from envy between neighbors and, and totally see that. That's kind of like the, the, Keeping up with the Joneses idea. Yeah, yeah. They have, I want to achieve what they have, mm-hmm. which is actually praised in New Age movements and in progressive Christianity. Envy is not bad in any way. Envy is what entices you to accomplish. And so envy is good because you can mm-hmm. see what others have, which then drives you to to accomplish. And, and that's a good thing. Envy is not good. Jealousy 
and envy are not the same. Right. Jealousy is... God is is a jealous God. Je- jealousy is not inherently wrong, but envy is, I want what you have. Right. And I'm okay taking what you have. I want what you have, so I'm going to f- focus on that. Right. And achieve better than you out of pride, out of uh, greed, out of whatever dark motive it is when you right. look at someone else and see that they have something and you've got to have that too. Right. It it almost sets it up as an idol. Right. It's a worship of sorts. Right. It is a denial of God as God and the thing you're seeking that the other has becomes your God. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the but- verses four through eight, even nine – 10, 9 and 10, they get more into relationship, but the, it's the two sides of that career coin, I guess you would. The, the workaholic mm-hmm. who has both hands filled with labor and doesn't have a fa- hand filled with, with rest and relaxation. And then there's the fool who's folding his hands and not doing anything, yeah. both hands filled with rest, and ends up consuming himself. Right. And and. But I think that this is this is missing the aspect that we saw in previous chapters that says your labor your your right. your pursuit of doing things is not bad it's not and it's actually a gift from god right. this this doing things idea of work and labor and but this is this is kind of shifted a bit and saying i am focused on the doing or the not doing and not focused on the the God who gave it to me and why I'm doing this. You lost your why. Right. It's ex- it's ex- examining both ends of the extreme. Or yeah. The, ex- yeah, the extremes absolutely. of the spectrum, I guess, is what it is. And it is grievous, as mine says. It's meaningless. It is. And it is. And, and I think it's in this that we can actually find that good thing that we said earlier was missing in this chapter is because he's examining both ends of the extreme – and saying these are pointless, then there is that that small window in the middle where, while it's still pointless, all you're doing and all you're accomplishing, there's joy to be found in it. Mm-hmm. In that right, proper balance between work and rest, and that right and proper balance between achieving, between uh, acquiring and consuming. There's these, there's this balance that's to be found. And it it really has to come back to why you're doing what you're doing, right? If you're doing it so that you can consume, I'm going to build more barns and, and, you know, that, that passage, and I can't remember what it is, but exactly, but, you know, he says, I'm going to tear down my barns and build more barns so that I can, so that I can, you know, rest and be happy. Or, or the, as it says here, you know, this just, no end to your toil and what are you doing it for for whom i'm so for whom am i toiling and depriving myself of prosperity it's if you're just slogging through this just to slog through it just to keep going just to keep going that's not the right reason right that's you're missing the point you're missing the point entirely right yeah and so while it's not really stated in this chapter it's that that unspoken middle ground right is where that hope is found but after getting into this talk of oppression and then career choices or or how you approach your your 
career and your labor. Uh, he then gets into relationships and the good things that are to be found in relationship. And, and in this is the good, although it, it's steeped in the idea of the man, or it begins with the, the man who has nobody, who has no one to come after him, no one to provide for, and yet he's still acquiring and acquiring and acquiring. This, it's but not, then it expands into two. You know, it, it's not quite a silver lining, but it's like a chrome lining. Right. You know, to right. this dark cloud of a chapter. Right, because two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. So working together, that's good. When you go out and you work and you have a partner that you can talk to and that can share, share the labor and help lift the load. Uh, I spent pull today you out of a pull you out of a hole if you fall right. in. Well, I spent today moving someone. And let me tell you, it was awesome when we had four people who were able to move mm -hmm. and we could team up on heavy things. Uh, one man alone wouldn't have gotten it done. That's for but we sure. also had that companionship. We could talk and we could joke and we could laugh and organize and, and bring our minds together. Does this box fit there? Does it fit there? Where's the best, you know, how's the best place to fit this? And, mm -hmm. and we were able to do much better than one or even two could do because there were four of us who were moving. When you're engaged in labor, having companions is important. Yeah, and I think this goes back all the way to Genesis, where he says, mm. it is not good that man should be alone. Right. Now, I've heard that verse say, well, that implies married. that implies that every single person on this planet is supposed to, by God's law, get married, and <laughs> you have no right to be single, and blah, blah, blah. And that's just, that's just baloney. Yes. But it is a verse that needs to be addressed because this is a principle of community mm, that yes. you that you cannot live in a vacuum and right. if you're just sitting listening to podcasts all the time or getting on youtube and watching youtube videos for your community and you are you are isolated then you are going to fall Right. Because you don't have the person that can look at you and go, hey, you know, I really see you struggling in this area. Can I come alongside you and help you? Or, hey, you know what? I really struggled through that particular situation myself a couple of years ago. Let me show you what God used in my life to help me through that. It is a beautiful thing when brothers can dwell together yeah. in unity. It is a very real picture of that in this particular section because without community without a companion without someone and i'm not talking about a spouse i'm talking about friends who will build you up then you are going to fall it is a very real thing and i i feel like that is one thing that you and i as leaders of a church we've been talking about this for you know 7 yes. years now but part. it is something that I see so many times we've seen several different um, people, even in our own congregation that, you know, have have resisted joining and, you know, come for a while and then leave and isolate themselves. Right. And one has went so far as to completely fall away from Yeshua. Others have gone in in some pretty weird directions and it's just 
you know, we, we've seen that it destroys people. Right. Yeah. And that's one thing that I would recommend for any of you who find yourself alone in this walk, alone in your faith, find someone, even if it's a Sunday church, even if it's uh, find a community that you can connect with and plug into because we need people around us. It is vital. We really do. Uh, just don't get into one of those progressive Christian churches like uh, I was talking about earlier. Avoid those like the plague because they will accept you. And corrupt. But then they'll deconstruct you. And you'll end up in some of these odd, weird places anyway. But yeah, find people. And if you don't, if you simply cannot find people, there, move. there's move or pray and there's there's options you know that's fair pray 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 don't rely on social media don't rely on youtube they're useful they're beneficial but they should not be your only source of community you can do you know if you've got some social media friends across the country and you really don't have anyone close by Get a Zoom channel going right. once a week. Talk right. to these people face to face, even if it's just on Zoom. Do something. You've it's see it's their face, important. hear their voice, see their mannerisms. You know, really get to know the people, and that's one of the reasons why we don't televise or put any of our our community stuff up on any kind of social media. I've seen so many churches who will put their teachings up online and it either becomes some sort of personality cult where the teacher, well, that teacher is the, he's the teacher and Ooh, or the church focus becomes about gaining audience rather than building community. Or even, even in another way, it gives people a false sense of community because well i watch this online so i'm a part of the community but you're not because you're not actually having anyone speak directly to you in your life and actually see you and talk to you you're just this is this is what i'm a part of but but you're not you're uh you're a fly on the wall and you may be getting good teaching and i'm not saying you're not but you're not getting the community that you need. Right. So Psalm 133 speaks to this. And this is a, actually such a beautiful psalm because uh, it begins with, See how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. Most, most of you have probably heard a song like that. But then it, that unity of brothers is compared to two things in the rest of the psalms rather short psalms only three verses so verse two it's like precious oil on the head running down on the beard the beard of aaron running down on the collar of his robes so the brothers dwelling together in unity is compared to the the ordination the the ordination and the anointing of the high priest that's how important community is But then it's also, it's like the dew of Hermon that comes down on the mountains of Zion. For there Adonai commanded blessing and life forever. So, in ancient Near East, they would, or especially in Israel, they had the the latter rains in the spring. And then their crops would grow all summer. And then they'd have the early rains in the fall. It seems different. uh, Seems messed up to us, but that's just how their cycle went and how they labeled things. 
But during the summer, they'd have very little rain. Mm -hmm. The way that the crops actually got watered in the summer was through dew, through the dew that would form on the ground. And so what this is talking about is it's like that sustaining, life-giving water that the crops need for blessing to come forth. That's what brothers dwelling in unity is. It's it's that anointing. It's that it's that anointing and ordination of the high priest. But it's that sustaining, life giving, uh, ongoing process as we're here in you know as you're living your life and as you're bringing forth fruit and waiting for harvest to come. It's those two things, and and that is very poignant and very. Yeah. Uh, important it's, it's it's very deep to to see not only is it this this pouring out we see the the anointing kind of along the lines of the pouring out of the holy spirit right so so the pouring out of the holy spirit on your life is happens in community yeah the the life sustaining happens in community and it is not good for you to be alone so yeah. we may have belabored the point but that's uh, a very big point you can't belabor that point it's it, because it is so important and and solomon gets into that you know verses 9 through 12 i have actually rather well known uh mm-hmm. especially the uh Poem. right um it, you know if two lie together they keep warm but how does one keep warm by himself and one might be overpowered but two will withstand him in a threefold cord is not easily broken so many youth Iconic, group yeah. youth group picture s- stories in my head coming <laughs> through you know like oh right. we can wrap you with with uh wrap your hands together with dental floss and you can pull them apart but if i keep wrapping them guess what you can't pull them apart anymore you know right because you're cutting my wrists off with dental floss right <laughs> <laughs> anyway but yeah community is such an important topic don't don't skip out on it do whatever you can to get into it um and then continue on into the last bit of the chapter uh and this these last few verses they get kind of uh, odd, weird, huh. it's hard to understand. Yeah, I, I kind of stumbled over them when I was reading because I couldn't quite figure out what actually it was saying at first. Right, so a poor and wise youth is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to take warning. That one, that one's easy that, to understand. Yeah, okay, it's better one. to be poor, to be living in a hovel, to be uh, inexperienced and yeah. humble, uh, to be a youth which wasn't really uh, looked well upon. Yeah, they didn't have much honor in the society. It's better to be that than someone with a huge amount of honor who can't take any kind of correction. Because mm-hmm. they're so wrapped up in themselves and so prideful. That makes sense. But then verse 14, for he comes out of prison to be the king, although in his kingdom he was born poor. What does that even mean? I mean, I, I don't I, get it. Honestly, it kind of sounds like Joseph coming out of prison to become king, but he wasn't born poor per se, and Solomon certainly wasn't born poor. So it's hard to understand what he means by that yeah i'm looking at other translations and they all say virtually the same thing there's there's really no uh equivocation on what exactly this or how to translate this verse 
uh, the KJV, for out of prison he cometh to keep, to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. Uh, ESV, for he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had to he had been born poor. The NET, for he came out of prison to become king, even though he had been born poor in what would become his kingdom. That is one that's very difficult to, to parse and to, to really kind of understand. And I think that we kind of need to look at the surrounding text for context. And but maybe, even that doesn't but really, even make that a lot doesn't of sense. really help. It seems like it's kind of. So let's go on to the other. Yeah, so let's go on to the other next two verses and see if maybe. It does seem as though he's dealing with extremes again, poor mm-hmm. to king, being yeah. brought out of prison to reign, you know. Okay, the, you know, the prisoner to the king, the poor to the, the kingdom, uh, you know, it's extremes. But, but is it talking about the king that no longer can take warning? Maybe that's what it's talking about. I, I think so, but... Even then, it's hard to, to really wrap my head around what exactly he's talking about. But maybe verse 15 and 16 will give us some insight. So, I have seen all the living who walk under the sun, and they were with the second youth who stands in his place. Again, what? Mm-hmm. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. What is your Mine saying? says, um, I considered all the living that walk under the sun as well as the next youth who stands in his place. Okay. And with this one, verse 16 really does give us the, the more insight into that. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he headed. But the ones who come afterward do not rejoice in him, for that too is futile and feeding on wind. So the second youth who stands in his place is the son rising up to stand in the place of the father. Yeah, the next generation. It's the next, the next generation line, coming whatever. up. Yeah. And there's no end of all the people. You know, they go back for generations and. If anybody's ever tried to do any kind of genealogy research, you know that's a losing battle at some point. Even if you can go 10 generations back, you're still only like, you know, 1800s. Right, you're still in the 1800s. There were thousands of years of history before that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's, and you don't know any of those people. And yet they're such an integral part of who you are and where you're at in your life. Your DNA is them. It's it's boggling to contemplate. But then you're also part of this ongoing chain and there will be people coming after you. As long as you're one of those people who's not, you know, from verse 8, who doesn't have the second or the son or the one to come after him. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, you're going to have some influence on people around you. Right. You're going to have some influence on the people around you. But then... But even those people, even those who do have kids, three generations from now, they're not going to know you or care mm-hmm. or care to know you. That You're so completely disconnected from them because of the changes in culture and society and all of the various things that have gone on. You know, when uh, we were in a shepherding group several years ago, a small, small group with the Sunday church, there was a girl that I got to be good friends with but she had gone to the same high school that I had gone to and she was a year behind me maybe two years I don't remember but she remembered who I was because I was you know a senior but I had no idea who she was Hmm. I literally did not even I I don't think I ever even noticed that she was there. And it's not that I was, you know, 
snooty or yeah any anything well to do or anything like that i just didn't see her because she was younger she was in the other classes beneath me and i just didn't really pay attention to the people in the younger classes i was focused on the ones in my sphere of influence right that's actually a good uh, a good uh, microcosm to examine is uh, high school college you know how many hundreds and hundreds and thousands of kids have graduated and gone on and grown up and you don't know who they are you don't care but they graduated with you but you don't even yeah, know yeah them. or even you know a class under you you have no idea who they are because they're not part of your your experience and once you graduate, the school forgets you in many ways, mm-hmm. other than when they want money. <laughs> yeah, except when, the, <laughs> except when the fundraiser comes out. Right. <laughs> but otherwise, it, the school doesn't know you. They don't care about you. Um, my school, my high school, has never even reached out to me to let me know that there was a, a class reunion going on or anything. Well, there were like six of you. No, we had 42 in our graduating oh, okay, class. Okay. Come on. Sorry. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> that was my sister who had Oh, that was your sister. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, that's two different schools, um, completely even two different states. So uh, her experience was not my experience. But uh, but yeah, high school is a, a good microcosm or, or uh, your, your employment or it's a good way to just kind of catch sight of what he's talking here in the scope of generations of people. We experience it in other ways ways of life mm-hmm. with that and it's very real I mean, it is very we, real we will be forgotten you know we aren't we aren't even the center of our own story much less the the people the three people generations around us. right i mean uh when the when the, was the last time that you went to your family reunion and knew everybody there well since i haven't been to a family reunion in years my point is, <laughs> you know, fam- you right. go to family reunions and you're like, oh, you're Uncle Joe's second cousin's best friend's niece. I don't know. I, you know, Actually, we don't more, have any idea who this person is, but they're here. It so tends they to be must more be like, family and- hey, you're the cousin I grew up with and then completely lost touch with. And, oh, this is your wife and your three kids. Well, when did yeah. that happen? Because mm-hmm. I've been out of touch with you. I, don't, I haven't kept up. Yeah. You know, and. But anyway, yeah, and when you examine life in that way, it can keep, seem kind of futile. What's the point of all of our lives and what we're doing if no one's gonna even remember a thing about us? If all we become is that stone in the graveyard with dates. Yeah. A name and some dates on it. If even that. Right. Which can be rather depressing when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, it's it is. It's a very down chapter, but we gotta go back to those those two little things to hold on to. Right, you know, the, our enjoy why, it while you're here. Why are you doing it? Why are you here? What's your point? Right. So What's the your goal purpose? of it all is to serve God and keep His command. That's the conclusion of the matter. But so far in that, he's found several blessings that we can take from all of this, which is things like food and drink and companionship and community and our labor, the fruits of our labor, the things that we accomplish. When you finish that project and you step back and you look at it and you say, job well done. 
and you get that sense of well-being inside. Yeah. There's there's good in those things. Um, so don't let the, the depressing parts of this, the down parts of this, don't let them get you down. Don't let the traumas get you down. It, it is a broken and it is a fallen world. And we live in the midst of it and it becomes part of our experience. But it will all be made right one day. And this is something that I think Solomon kind of loses in his focus on just the physical, in his in this physical philosophy that he's endeavoring to accomplish here, is the spiritual truth that yeah. those who are in Messiah, those who are in Christ Jesus, they will, we will, one day live much longer. And all of this, all of this will become just a memory the hardship, the depression, the the ongoing futility of it all right. will become just a memory and something new and real and ongoing and lasting will be born in its place. Well, and I think this is, this is recognizing that the kingdom that we serve is not of this world. Right. And if we serve the kingdom that is not of this world, then the things of this world aren't as overwhelming or depressing right. when thing, when they don't go right. And we don't have to be quite as distraught if things aren't looking the way we want them to. Because here on this earth, we will have struggles. We will mm -hmm. have toil. But it's the kingdom that is not of this earth that we serve. And that is a much more important thing. And and I think that might be one of the reasons why Ecclesiastes is part of the canon in the first place. Is because it shows us the futility of the materialist view. Yeah. It shows how absolutely pointless it is. And the only thing that's worth it, the only thing that's worth pursuing, and the, the New Testament authors get into this as well, is the kingdom of God. Do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up treasures in heaven. Uh, the, you know, quotes of that nature. And mm -hmm. Ecclesiastes is examining all the moth and rust and the physical treasures and going, right. yeah, it's really not worth it, guys. You so know what is worth it? Follow God. Yeah. That, that'll actually bring you some, some good in the end. So that it, that'll bring you life and benefit in the end. So don't pursue the physical. Don't pursue Ex the exclusively. Don't exclusively pursue the physical. And Shoot, don't seek after that. Right. Instead, seek life and all that you do. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Darish Kai. If you would like to find out more or support this ministry, head over to seeklifesc.com. That's seeklifesc.com. We'll see you again next time as we Darish Kai as we seek life. Shalom.